If your team plays 162 games, it's all right to skip a few here and there. If your team plays 16 games, you kind of can't afford to miss any. Well, for over 20 years, DirecTV has been the exclusive home to NFL Sunday Ticket, the only way to get every live game every Sunday. I have good news for NFL fans. DirecTV has expanded the service. So if you live in an apartment like I do or are an enrolled college student, now you can get NFL Sunday Ticket without a satellite. To see if you're eligible, go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv. Stream every NFL Sunday Ticket game this season and follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code RINGER at checkout to save 10%. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh, and I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, joined by my fellow Ringer writer, Michael Bauman. Hello. Hello. We've got a full slate, but uh, we have something to discuss first yeah the cubs uh clinched their division last night so i'm sure it's has this season been weird to you that like they've like they were supposed to be this good and then they were this good and they still are this good like i feel like more should have gone wrong by now yeah i mean especially because kyle schwarber got hurt and i don't know if that mattered at all (laughs) to them i don't know if they would have won one more game than they actually have won with yeah. Kyle Schwarber. Or if they had, then it, it just wouldn't have made much of a difference because when you're clinching in mid-September, you're, you're doing pretty well. But yeah, they started out at such an extremely historic pace that we kind of wondered if this was an all-time great team. And it's not quite there, but they are impressive in really every way that you can be impressive as a baseball team. Yeah, so just quickly, and then we'll we'll get into our guests, our friends and uh, former colleagues at Baseball Prospectus. They make them by playoff odds a twenty five point three percent chance of winning the World Series. And is that in your mind high or low, or do you just believe whatever the the numbers say? Well, that might sound low to some people, but you might not realize how low the the typical World Series favorites odds of winning the World Series are. I think usually it's more like a 20% chance. So if even if you are the best team in baseball, you have about a one in five chance of actually winning the World Series. And that's once you've made the playoffs, (laughs) because there's just so much variability that goes into those few short series in October that being the best team can help only so much, and, and it does help. It's not a, a total crapshoot as people describe it at times, but really it's it's pretty close to that. So yeah, I can't imagine myself going higher than that for many teams, but because the Cubs are so good, it doesn't sound crazy. Yeah, that feels it feels high to me too, because like if you think every team that makes it into the divisional round, if you know if it were a coin flip, they'd have a twelve point five percent chance, and maybe the National League apart from the Cubs and the Nationals just being such comprehensive garbage this year uh <laughs> helps helps the Cubs right now but yeah. uh the other interesting thing just looking at the playoff odds the top World Series odds in the American League belong to the Red Sox uh-huh. which I was getting all excited about a Cubs Red Sox World Series and then I realized it wasn't 2003 anymore yeah, that's not exciting <laughs> the anymore. Red Sox have have won three World Series since then yeah that's like the 2003 playoffs I think are are my favorite playoffs of of my time as a baseball fan. And I uh-huh. feel I feel really robbed that we didn't get that didn't get that Cubs Red Sox World Series back then. Well, as someone who was sitting in the upper deck for the Aaron Boone Homer, I oh. I, I agree with that. I guess the the closest equivalent to that would be what Cubs Indians this year if we're going for longest droughts or slash curses. Cubs Indians would be a pretty compelling matchup. Yeah, you could say, you know, even Cubs Rangers too cuz the sure. Rangers have never yeah. Never won a World Series, and they had a couple heartbreaks along the the way. Right. Uh, the Mariners, although of course baseball will end before the Mariners ever win the pennant, so <laughs> right. this is one of my devout beliefs as a as a baseball fan. As a Mariners, <laughs> will never make it to the World Series. <laughs> All right, so we are going to transition to our two guests later on in this episode. We will be talking to Jed Hughes who is in charge of sports headhunting, essentially, for Corn Ferry, which is a company that helps other companies hire executives. And so Corn Ferry has been working with Major League Baseball for a few years now, and they assisted with the Brewers' GM search, with the Blue Jays' GM search. They are now helping out with the Twins' GM search. So we tried to mine as much information as we could about this process. We cannot tell you who the next Twins' GM will be, but we could tell you a little bit about how that decision will be made. And he didn't uh, he didn't help with the Diamondbacks search when they hired <laughs> Kevin Towers, despite no. him being a headhunter. That's true. That's true. <laughs> 
All right, but before we get to that, we are going to talk about a team that might have a little more reason to regret its choice of general manager, the San Diego Padres. Before today, you may not have known that a major league general manager could be suspended, but we are learning a lot about that subject now because Padres GM AJ Preller has been suspended for 30 days as punishment for failure to disclose medical information. And Preller, of course, has something of a history of skirting rules and regulations. So to find out more about this story, which is really still developing, we are talking to Dennis Lynn, who covers the Padres for the San Diego Union Tribune, and he is taking a break from working his sources to fill us in. So hello, Dennis. Hey, Ben. So we'll get into exactly what the violation was here, but can you tell us anything about how this came to light or how it may have come to light? Yeah. So uh, this kind of traces back, I guess, uh, almost as early as that uh, first trade the Padres made this summer, the first big trade, uh, Mm -hmm. James Shields, the White Sox. Apparently, the White Sox weren't happy with how the, the Padres handled the exchange of medical information in that trade. And, uh, and then from there, there were a couple other trades, uh, most notably Miami, um, Colin Ray going to Miami in a seven-player trade, and him coming out of his Miami debut the day after the trade with uh, elbow discomfort, and then uh, later finding out you might need Tommy John surgery. So that was uh, another big one. And then... Um, the one that really kind of kicked it off, actually, technically, was the uh, trade of Drew Pomerantz to the Boston Red Sox because the Red Sox shortly after that complained. And Dave Dombrowski and people with the Red Sox uh, do have a lot of clout with MLB, so they launched an investigation from there. And it found some uh, you know, routine, I guess, withholding, you might call it, uh, depending on your point of view, of medical information um, this season by the Padres. So they uh, decided just based on that trade with the Red Sox, the Drew Pomeranz trade, they were going to suspend him for 30 days. Like you said, that's pretty unprecedented, but uh, there wasn't really a precedent here. So they had to, uh, you know, come up with a penalty they thought was just. And I think I just reported that they uh, also received an undisclosed fine for the uh, uh, on top of the suspension. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens when uh, AJ probably comes off the suspension. They're uh, so far pretty tight-lipped. I think uh, we'll say a little more after he uh, comes back. Mm-hmm. And what does this suspension actually do in terms of punishment? You know, obviously the Padres got fined and, and Preller will lose, um, lose some money, uh, from his own paycheck. But how do you suspend a, a general man? You know, suspending a general manager is different than suspending a, a player or coach. So I guess what is the, you know, what is this supposed to accomplish apart from, you know, paying that scarlet letter? Well, that, that would be the main thing I would think. You know, this is now the second time that we know of that he's been suspended by MLB. The first time was when he was working in the Texas Rangers front office, and that was for an international uh, violation. And he wasn't the GM at the time, but that was still a pretty uh, serious deal that came to light when he was hired as a GM. So now this is two. And if something else happens again, it's going to be really uh, hard for the Padres to uh, defend uh, their guys saying it was, you know, unintentional or the guy's learning on the job. This is now his second I guess, uh, second, uh, you know, season with the Padres and he is still young, but, uh, he has developed a little bit of re- reputation within the industry of being a guy who's now more willing than most to push the envelope. So I, I don't think it really hurts him that much from, uh, I guess a logistical standpoint. I mean, uh, October, the Padres aren't going to be playing the playoffs, obviously, and they're not, you know, going to be making really any trades. Um, I guess, uh, Derek Norris and Tyson Ross are the two guys they would like to trade, but, you know, either due to, injury or underperformance uh, that's not going to happen right now so uh, I think this just kind of uh, is a sign that you know Preller's on a very short leash with MLB and so are the Padres by extension yeah if you have to lose your GM for 30 days I guess this is just about the perfect time to do it right it's uh, post trade deadlines and and they're not a playoff team and it's pre-free agencies so maybe he misses out on some organizational meetings or something but other than that there's not a whole lot lost from the organization standpoint, perhaps. But can you summarize what is known about the Rangers-era violation? Yeah, so there was, um, this was back in, I believe, uh, 2010 or 2011. There's reports of uh, improper contact with the prospect uh, in Latin America. And, uh, you know, this didn't really, uh, this wasn't announced. I mean, he wasn't a GM at the time. So it was, a, a, I guess, a lower profile guy at the time. Uh, wasn't really uh, brought to light until he became the GM of the Padres. I think Ken Rosenthal might have been the first one to report this one. So uh, the Padres said they, you know, did their homework on this one. And I think Mike D at the time gave Rosenthal a quote saying that, you know, he's he was a young guy in his late 20s at the time and he's learned from it. And as I mentioned before, uh, this is uh, 
continues to be an ongoing learning process for him. He even said that in a statement he released uh, after the suspension came out, this his latest suspension, that, you know, this is a learning process. But at some point, you got to, you know, be in charge of, you know, your your job and understand this is a uh, part of your, your oversight. So, and he, he said that in the, uh, in the statement, but that also goes to the people above him. So it's just not a good look for AJ Preller or his bosses. And that's, you know, his involvement in the Latin American market when he was working under John Daniels in Texas was along with his haircut, one of two things that most people knew about him when the, when the Padres hired him. So what's his, you know, after, a very bold, but ultimately, I think you'd have to say unsuccessful first off season. And now this, you know, do you have a, a good sense of what his reputation is like, you know, in, in the public in San Diego or, or maybe around the league? I, I think a lot of Padres fans um, just love the fact that he's willing to I just go back to the cliche push the envelope because they're a small market team that hasn't done anything in, you know, years and years. And here's a guy who uh, has apparently won over ownership's trust. They're giving him, you know, $80 million to spend on the international market or plus the amateur uh, draft. And that's something they haven't had before. Not that it's, you know, that, that hard to hire your own guy and then give him a bunch of money to do stuff. But uh, he has convinced the owners that, you know, he is the guy to lead this rebuild and to stock the farm system. So, uh, the stuff on the farm, it's uh, it's kind of funny for Padres fans right now. They're tracking El Paso and the uh, PCL playoffs. Um, they're not even really paying attention to the big, big mm-hmm. league. You know, that's kind of what they have to hold on to right now. So when you see a GM who's got this, you know, reputation for being kind of this like cowboy out in the you know wild west of the international market, uh, landing Cubans for eleven million dollars, that kind of gets people excited because that's the kind of upside they haven't had as a franchise. And you can kind of question some of the trades he's made, especially a Trey Turner, who looks like a you know, future MVP candidate, but uh, he is making the effort and um, to, uh, you know, go out, go on a scout, which, you know, what he was uh, kind of brought in to do and bring in tons of talent. Well, this is one way to get the Padres back in the news, right? We would not be talking about the Padres on this podcast right now, if not for the suspension. So uh, all publicity is good publicity, right? I guess maybe. Anyway, yeah. well. <laughs> you uh, you left out his piercing blue eyes, by the way, Michael, oh, when, sorry. when yeah. you were listing the, the traits that people know about. I Pro was just X. going over this in our, our uh, ringer slack. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time concentrating on these articles because every <laughs> Every article has a picture of those eyes just staring back at you through the computer screen. (laughs) So can we talk a little bit about the specifics of the violation as we know it? From what I understand, teams are supposed to disclose anything that happens to a player. If they stub their toe, if they have a headache and take an aspirin, that goes in the file. And in this case, those things just didn't go in the file. Do we know what level of detail was in there and, you know, how suspicious it was that every Padre looked just uh, impervious to injury? So as far as I guess everyone not with the Padres or the Red Sox knows, uh, Drew Pomeranz is healthy. He's pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't gone on the DL this year. He, uh, I mean, he pitched in the All-Star game two days before he was traded. Um, I don't think the Padres would... Uh, risk letting him pitch in a game like that or an exhibition if uh, there was a question about a serious injury. Uh, but the Red Sox were not happy because they uh, perceived there to be, uh, I guess, some preventive treatment measures the Padres had taken with Drew Pomerantz, who has had an injury history before. They, they, they felt like that wasn't disclosed until after the trade. So it wasn't really about the fact that, you know, what is he hurt or not? It was more about the process. And uh, like I said earlier, Dave Dombrowski, uh, probably not a guy you want to uh, mess around with. Uh, has a lot of clout with the league office, so they were not very happy with that. And, uh, yeah, it's um, just kind of goes to principle. I mean, there are no written rules in the CBA or anything about how teams should govern themselves when they're exchanging medical info uh, leading up to a trade, but it's just kind of uh, courtesy or just this expectation that you uh, include all relevant uh, treatment information. So if a guy's being treated for something, uh, you want to kind of know that in advance or you're not going to make the trade. So that wasn't put in there. And I know uh, at the winter meetings, uh, MLB kind of, I think, gathered all the team's trainers, all 30 team's trainers, told them, you know, we expect uh, you guys to be uh, even more detailed this year and in how you uh, input information into MLB's central medical system. So if from that perspective, looking at the timeline, uh, winter meetings to uh, this summer, uh, that's not a great look for the Padres. They were choosing this season to be a uh, a little more flippant about the guidelines. Now, is there a, a case to be made? I mean, clearly this is sketchy. This seems underhanded. But if it's not actually codified in the rules, if this is more of a, an understanding or a, a gentleman's agreement about how much information you provide, then 
Is it fair to issue a somewhat harsh penalty for someone who kind of doesn't go along with that not strictly codified policy? Yeah, and that's up for debate. I mean, um, Rob Manfred in here, I mean, he, um, you can't really oppose the commissioner in cases like this. And we've, right. you know, we mentioned this before, it's unprecedented, um, this kind of penalty for especially a GM. So uh, they're just kind of going off their own uh, book. They're kind of writing as they uh, go along. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the Potteries feel this way. If they're going to release a statement that says, uh, you know, the, the wrongdoing wasn't intentional, I'm sure they feel it's unfair. They're not going to say that. Uh, they're not really talking about anything, you know, publicly until, uh, you know, Preller comes back. I mean, you would hope they, <laughs> the owners uh, start answering some more questions uh, as this next month of AJ's uh, uh, AJ Preller's suspension drags on because there are just so many questions. But yeah, I'm sure they uh, they feel that you know he might have I don't know gotten creative, but they are a small market team, and sometimes small market teams feel like they have to do something to gain an edge, and that's what they hired AJ Preller to do. So I don't know if they expected uh, that would come in the form of fudging <laughs> medical records, but uh, he is a guy who's uh, you know willing to push the envelope, and that appears to be what happened here. Now, I'll I'll push back on what Ben just said a little bit. Um, you know, this is something that uh, Tom Lee at Deadspin, and I'm sure others have have brought up. But so much of, of being a an effective major league general manager has to do with relationships with the 29 other GMs. So, and this is you know you hear you hear about people in the NFL don't want to trade with the Patriots because the Patriots win every trade or whatever. But this is even beyond that. Like this is having sketchy medical histories attached to three trades in a row, you know, three major trades in a row over the course of the same season. So like, is the real punishment perhaps less that less that Preller's getting suspended and the Padres are getting fined and perhaps more that if he develops a reputation, and I think, you know, at this point, he, he may have earned a reputation as, as something of a bullshitter. Like, are other GMs going to trust him less and be less willing, you know, less willing to view him as, you know, someone who's willing to do business with them honestly? Yeah, I think part of what you just mentioned applies here. Uh, he already had a reputation um, for being a guy that, you know, some people some people really like him in this industry and some people, like, really hate him. Uh, there's kind of, like, no in-between, it seems like, with A.J. Preller. I'd say it's kind of skewed toward the, the latter uh, more recently just because uh, sometimes uh, just word of mouth, even if people don't deal directly with them, he kind of becomes this mythical figure where he's this guy who's trying to, you know, cheat other teams uh, out of fair returns. But I think uh, not only that um, – he has to worry about, you know, other GMs and he has to worry about, I think, player agents, possibly the player union, because if you're talking about medical records for, uh, you know, a player, that's, uh, that's that player's livelihood. Um, that's, you know, something that, you know, you can't really mess with. It's not like deflating footballs or, uh, filming practices. That's, uh, it's a little different. So in this case, uh, I think the Padres had reasons for allowing their GM who was ready, you know, like I said, uh, kind of on a short leash to, do something like this, and even if you had, didn't have something to do with this, uh, that's uh, not really acceptable because your GM is your head of baseball operations. But I would expect them to take some kind of course of action, um, whether that's maybe hiring someone to oversee medical stuff or uh, just, uh, I don't know, coming out and being transparent about their uh, procedures. Maybe they have to be, or at least with the league, because I think this is sparking conversations about whether MLB should, uh, you know, put these rules in writing or these guidelines in writing, and uh, then that way you can't really skirt them. But I think as far as trades go with GMs, it still comes down to whether you have good players. If AJ has good players that other teams want, I think it's not going to be a problem for him in the end. But I mean, if he's uh, if he's going to slip up again, he might not be around to make those trades anymore. Yeah, you alluded to it briefly there, but we've been talking about the Red Sox or the Marlins as victims, or you know, maybe this backfires for the Padres, but. The players involved are at least potentially the the biggest victims if they are not getting the appropriate treatment. Now, you know, if there's some serious ongoing issue, you'd expect that they might actually mention that to a, a trainer at some point and not just stay silent. But still, it's probably a, a pretty big part of how a, a trainer decides to handle a new player is how he's been handled before and what his medical history is. And players, of course, are not always forthcoming about their issues. So this seems like something that could really come back to bite a player involved. Yeah, to your point, Colin Ray, who uh, has a partially torn uh, UCL in his right elbow, he uh, apparently hadn't been feeling great leading up to the trade, but, you know, they traded him and then, you know, he came out of his first start. And then the Marlins asked him, you know, what medications are you taking? And that's um, according to, uh, you know, 
I guess uh, in this case, sources, uh, that, that's the only time they, they found out about it. It wasn't before the trade. It was after he came out of his debut that they found out he was taking anti-inflammatories. So obviously they weren't very happy about that. And in that case, uh, that, that, that situation was rectified because the Padres, uh, you know, uh, they linked up, the two teams linked up and Padres offered to re- rework the trade. So they took back Colin Ray, uh, even knowing that he was injured. And then they sent back uh, pitching prospect Luis Castillo, who was probably uh, maybe the player they wanted most in that trade. Um, so that was kind of a, yeah, we uh, we screwed up here. Uh, that's our bad. We'll take him back even though he's injured. Um, but, yeah, to your point, yeah, guys like Colin Ray, he's 26. Uh, he was a rookie this season. If he's uh, dealing with some minor soreness, he, he might not mention that to the Padres even. But uh, apparently they knew about something because he was taking something. And this is my last question, but it's sort of a, a related topic to what we've been talking about, which is it's – it's weird that I recognize that baseball is a unique industry, but still this is this whole situation is based on it's right for employers to share their employees' medical data with other with competitors under certain circumstances, which just from a you know, from a labor and privacy perspective just really feels weird to say out loud. And you know, it and this comes up with um with some of the, the the wearable technologies, you know, we talked to Travis Sawchuk about the pirates using biometric data. Uh, there's talk about there being like a pre-draft medical combine. You know, is is Major League Baseball, to your knowledge, at all concerned with you know protecting player privacy? And has the MLBPA spoken up about this at all? Yeah, that's uh, probably a little beyond my purview, but uh, yeah, that that is a valid question. Yeah, certainly, I don't expect you to to solve all these workplace privacy issues, but. Yeah, it's um like I was saying. I think it's uh it is a it's a delicate subject. I, I think uh, you could make the argument since there aren't really any uh, written rules right now that you know certain things clubs have a right or I guess in their eyes their own right to keep internal you know things that aren't considered serious in their eyes. Um, but again, uh, if you're going to make trades and you're going to do business, there has to kind of be an honor system here. And if you're not going to be open about uh, whether a player was you know, he's not injured, but he's taking something that could prevent him from getting injured. And then you make the trade and the other team doesn't know about it. Um, that's that's where the problem is. I think um, actually I've heard even the last couple of days that there are other teams that maybe don't have the exact same filing system that's been has been has been reported for the Padres this season. Uh, two different files, one for like DL related trips and another file that's just uh, on like preventative stuff that's to be kept internal. Uh, for other teams, might have systems like that, but uh, I guess in their in their case, maybe they did a better job of hiding it. And we don't know what the fine was. Undisclosed means we don't know the number, but it's probably safe to assume that it's more of a for show thing or a, a sort of slap on the wrist. I mean, to to really make a team suffer financially, it would have to be a, a huge fine, even if that team is the Padres. You know, unless you're taking a, a draft pick away or something, is it safe to assume that this is not materially going to impact the Padres financially speaking? Yeah, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's not it's not a huge number. Um, maybe you could make the assumption that it's whatever amount of salary A.J. Preller is losing, so the club's not benefiting uh, in a way from him, uh, you know, not being paid for a month. Um, mm-hmm. there, is a, there is a running joke on that. There was, at least, that, uh, you know, the money they saved from not paying him for a month was going to go to the next Cuban they signed. But <laughs> I think they're being, uh, they're being watched on that front, too, because, like we talked about, A.J. has had, uh, you know, run-in, the run-ins in, you know, in the international market as well. So I think some people are even surprised that, you know, he got fined for something like unexpected like this or suspended for something like, like this as opposed to something internationally. So they're, I think MLB is keeping a pretty close eye on them. Uh, and this fine, like you said, is uh, maybe for show. But, again, it's uh, just another reminder that, you know, if you uh, skirt the system, that uh, MLB is uh, going to come down on you. Mm-hmm. And the part of the statement that says there was no malicious intent on the part of me, that's Preller, or anyone on my staff to conceal information or disregard MLB's recommended guidelines. Obviously, we don't know what evil lurks within men's hearts, and we can't say what was on his mind and what went into this exactly. But based on what we do know and what has been reported, is that close to a credible claim? I I guess that depends on whether you have Adrian Preller's point of view or other teams' point of view. Mm -hmm. Um, If he did have a lot to do with this, and I will say that Adrian Preller is not um, an administrative GM. That's not his strong suit. 
Uh, he has other people handle a lot of that stuff for him. Yeah, he did include everyone on his staff in the statement, though. So <laughs> right, he did. So that was a that was a blanket statement. Um, but when it comes to medical records, again, it's very serious. So yeah, I can understand if people have a hard time believing he had nothing to do with just maybe even signing off on someone else's idea mm -hmm. because that should uh, come across his desk. And um, if they were doing this to gain an advantage in trades, he would definitely know about it because he is the guy who is making trades. So it could be point of view, like I said, if they feel like, hey, it's players, uh, private, you know, medical records, uh, things that are necessarily disclosed usually, they can uh, make an argument that there's gray area in the guidelines for them to maybe hold on to some things. But at the same time, I know when LLB was conducting its investigation, it was calling neutral doctors, uh, team doctors from other teams that had nothing to do with this in the middle of the night to ask if um, this would be the way they would handle things or if they found, they found this pretty strange. And I'm guessing from their investigations, most of those team doctors said, yeah, this is pretty out of the normal. Yeah. And you've been covering him for a couple of years. So just generally, what is it like to cover Preller? Is he forthcoming? Does he tend to dissemble? Is it hard to get anything out of him? How is he usually on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I think uh, those last couple of phrases are pretty accurate for him. He's a uh... If you haven't noticed, he's not in the media very much unless, mm -hmm. you know, something like this happens. <laughs> uh, he's not the most successful GM from a media standpoint, which I understand. He was hired to be uh, kind of a super scout slash, you know, talent procurer. And uh, he's, I guess, in, their, in the owner's eyes, he succeeded in doing that. And uh, if you've ever heard interviews with him, he's not really the guy who's going to be, uh, he's not, you know, Theo Epstein or he's not Dave Dombrowski. He's not going to. Don't chum it up, but he is a—he can be a very charming guy uh, in person. Uh, I could see why you know some people in baseball do really like him, but it's uh, become harder for some people to defend him, even if they uh, you know worked with him before. Just knowing that you know he's uh, got a reputation, and sometimes uh, yes, things like this happen, fair or not, that kind of uh, reaffirmed that reputation. Yeah, he just sort of you know strikes you from afar as the annoying guy in your fantasy league who just like sends trade requests at three in the morning <laughs> constantly, and you know tries to get the last place team in the league to to dump its good players in the pennant race, or you know just like the kind of aggressive and and maybe successful but also <laughs> annoying at times kind of guy who's just like always looking for the edge and sometimes goes beyond the edge i wonder if all mlb gms aren't like that to a certain extent though yeah it's not the only guy i'd say that about right bringing up other names right but even by the standards of that group it, it seems like he's kind of that guy and and you know there's like a long legacy in baseball history of there being a fine line between exploiting advantages and maybe going a little bit too far and getting reprimanded for it. So I guess the, the positive spin on this, if you're a Padres fan, is that, well, he's at least he's trying to explore every possible edge, even if he goes wrong at times. So can we just close with, uh, you know, if you are a Padres fan and you're trying to take something positive from the Preller tenure, obviously the very aggressive rebuild backfired and, and left them seemingly in a worse place than they were when he took over. And so he's he's walked that back and kind of devoted to the long term, I guess. And, and that was part of why he was hired is that he had some talent, some knack for talent acquisition in theory. So can we at least say that uh, he has brought some positives to the organization in that sense? Yeah, he's um, again, he's convinced these owners to spend uh, tons and tons of money in the international market. I don't think they're done. We'll see maybe if uh, this latest episode causes them to uh, rein back a little bit on uh, the uh, international signings, which uh, for this period go all the way up until you know next June. Because at some point, uh, in theory, if you've already spent this much and you can't spend very much for the next couple couple seasons, you might as well keep going. Um, and that's kind of you know his his thing, his area. He's signing international talent. So eventually, if they can you know pile up uh, enough talent they already have, you figure that at least one or two of these guys uh, is going to develop, and they can't possibly keep up the pottery's history of uh, not developing anyone at all, really. <laughs> um, so, and then I think a positive from this for Padres fans as well, this this suspension and a small fine. From what I understand is, you know, that it wasn't worse. They didn't lose a draft pick. They uh, didn't have to, you know, give back a player. And for right now, I think they're they're in the clear. But uh, certainly, if something comes up 
or new information comes to light uh, relating to some of these trades and medical information. Um, just anything that you know happens from here on out, and he's going to be uh, watched very, very closely. Yeah, I wonder whether the the Cardinals hacking scandal sort of helped out the Padres in this sense, and you know, like this isn't as bad as that, probably, and they didn't lose a draft pick, or they haven't yet, at least. So that set a precedent for maybe not terrible things happening to a team when there's some kind of front office artifice going on. So I guess in comparison to that, it doesn't look so bad. All right. Well, we appreciate you taking a break from your reporting to fill us in on what we know about this issue. You can follow Dennis's writing in the San Diego Union Tribune. You can follow him on Twitter at S-D-U-T Dennis Lynn. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, before we talk to Jed Hughes of Corn Ferry about how his company headhunts general managers, I want to take a minute to tell you about our sponsor today, SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or show you want to go to, and none of those older ticket sites wants to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that make it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. I mentioned this before, but I'm going to see Jeff Lynn and ELO play this Sunday at Radio City. There are tickets to that concert on SeatGeek. There are tickets to just about everything on SeatGeek, so it should always be the first place you go to look for tickets to a game or concert. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. With SeatGeek, you'll never need to waste time checking prices on other ticket sites. SeatGeek does that for you by pulling all the tickets available on other sites into one place. So you save time and you never miss a deal. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck, so you can afford to go to more games or concerts. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, Ringer MLB show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, and then enter that promo code, which is Ringer MLB, just like the podcast title. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Ringer MLB today. All right, some of you are probably wondering which names are still on the list of candidates for the Twins general manager job. Our next guest knows, although he probably won't tell us, but we wanted to talk to him anyway to find out how he helps hire GMs. His name is Jed Hughes, and he's the vice chairman and global sector leader in sports for Corn Ferry, an executive search firm that works with Major League Baseball on high-level hiring. This is the company that assisted the Brewers and the Blue Jays with their recent GM searches, and now they are tackling the Twins. So, Jed, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. So I know that your experience in this industry and Corn Ferry's history goes back quite a ways, but your baseball involvement seems somewhat more recent. So how and when did that come about? Well, I think that our... Um Baseball involvement came about the fact we were involved in doing the commissioner search. So as a result of doing the commissioner search, you know, all the owners were part of that decision. And uh, they also had a, uh, a small search committee, which some of the owners were also on. So they had a chance firsthand, I, I think, to see, you know, how we work, how we're able to uh, gain consensus and how we're able to manage a project. Completion. And I guess the, the biggest question that uh, everybody would probably want to see answered, uh, you know, out of you coming and talking to us is what does a, a search firm do? Cause everybody, you know, we, we hear these, these company names, you know, they're helping Major League Baseball find a commissioner, the twins find a, a GM or president of baseball ops. How do you, how do you do that? Well, the first, the first and most important piece is that we have, you know, combined our experience, which is over 50 years uh, working in the in the sports industry and have developed some proprietary uh, instruments and products that we use to uh, build our job spec. So at the beginning of any search, the first thing we're going to do is sit down and, and gain consensus from the stakeholders on what we're looking for. And what is the most requested quality when a team enlists your services and you ask them what they want? Well, I think it varies. Uh, that's what makes it unique. That's why it's not, you know, something that you can run off a duplicator. Each organization, when you sit with them, looks for different things that are needed, either from a leadership or experience perspective that they need to find in order to uh, take their organization to the next level. 
And obviously, you know, you can't divulge exactly what goes into your proprietary processes, but can, can you, you know, say generally, are you looking for certain lines on a resume? Are you looking for... It's not resume related. We have instruments that help us understand the type of leader, the type of experience, the type of competencies that they are looking for in that person so that we can then go out and try to measure those qualities against the uh, the backdrop of potential candidates. Insofar as you can glean, you know, psychological qualities or behavioral qualities, you know, do you go out and, and search for these people and then interview them and then put that into into your report? Is that sort of how that works? I, I mean all of what you've all of what you've talked about is part of, of part of what we do. It, it's a process that we've used, you know, for an extended period of time and we continue to adapt and modify you know, as trends change in, in the various industries that we work in. And I don't know if you can speak specifically about the twins, but I'm sure you've worked no, with... I, I, no, I can't. I can't talk anything about them. Or Based on organizations you have worked with in the past, the twins, and I, uh, I won't put words in your mouth, but they're an organization that has had a lot of stability, a lot of continuity. There are pluses and minuses to that, I can imagine. So if you are coming into a situation, let's not say this specific one, but a situation where there hasn't been turnover for quite some time, does that help you? Does that make your job more difficult? No, again, I think it goes all back to what the organization is looking for. So, And that can vary in terms of where they are in their cycle. You know, whether their cycle is one that, you know, they're successful, they're not successful, or they're on the rise. So, uh, again, that's all predicated on the specific situation that, that you've been engaged to, to encounter and work with. And can you tell us anything about how this process differs by sport? Are football teams or basketball teams tending to look for different qualities than baseball teams? Well, the, the process that we use is the same. The outcomes are different in relationship to, you know, the way uh, front offices are structured in football as opposed to the NBA or as opposed to baseball. So there, there are similarities in process. But the differences begin to occur, obviously, you know, when you're in one uh, discipline, you know, your relationships uh, are different than they are in another discipline. So, for example, if you're working in, in baseball, you know, your relationships with the general managers and, and presidents of baseball operations you know, are, are important. And that's why I said at the beginning of this, you know, we go back a long time and we've got long term uh, trusted relationships that we have. And, um, you know, we we try to utilize those to the best of our ability in terms of helping to get the process right. And so when does that process end? You know, obviously you bring bring the team a list of right, a name or names. You know, are you there through the through the interview process, helping them sort of vet the candidates to their own satisfaction? You know, when do you you know, are you there all the way to, you know, the day the, the new candidate gets hired? Or That varies. I mean, some teams were there from day one until we help them do the contract. So, it again, it's a case by case basis. It's not one uh, universal answer. And when there is one of those long three-hour interviews where it's maybe you or someone else from your company with a couple of people from the team, how do those questions tend to go? Is it more about finding out how the candidate relates to people? Is it more about how they handle stress or pressure? Is it more about testing their encyclopedic knowledge of the sport? I think that depending on you know the organization, what you're trying to do is to establish whether or not the individual meets the job specification that you've developed. And at the same time, you're trying to make sure you get the fit right because at the end of the day, alignment's critical. You've got to get alignment right. Uh, alignment is the number one factor whether a team's going to be successful or unsuccessful. And the alignment begins with ownership. It goes then through the front office all the way and then through the manager or head coach and to the players. That's important in any search that we do. In cases where a hire hasn't worked out the way that you envisioned or that the team envisioned, how does that tend to happen? You know, if you think you have the perfect fit and then something goes wrong. Well, I mean, I, I, look, it, I, we, we've had, had very few. I mean, one of them you know, would be the New York Jets. In that set of circumstances, it was a, uh, a situation where the alignment never got fixed. And because the alignment never got fixed, the head uh, head coach, the owner, the general manager are all in different places. 
and that unfortunately was uh, you know what occurred in the New York media. You know that's uh, that can happen, especially if the coach has a great relationship with the media and the general manager isn't necessarily one that talks to the media. Yeah, and that's you know certainly that's a, a tough situation to to get everybody on the same page, but that has to make you know communicating with with ownership or the stakeholders, as you said, very important in the early in the early going. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and continually. I mean, you've got to continue to manage the process. You know, get them the information they need. So, I mean, and, and everyone varies. That's what the exciting, the exciting part is. I've been a coach my whole life. And at the end, it's about helping the individual move into a situation that's going to help that person be successful. And at the same time, that that environment is going to give the organization an opportunity to do the things they want to do so that you have the fit right, the alignment's right, the chemistry's right, and you move forward. And where do media skills rank on the tier list? Well, I mean, media, media skills are important. It depends on what market you're in, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're probably not going to be the number one criteria. Uh, it's going to be important that the person in today's world with social media, with the 24-7 cycle of it, I mean, the person's got to be savvy enough to be able to deal with multiple uh, outlets. And over the time that you've been doing this, is that one of the qualities that's become more desired or, you know, statistical awareness? Is that something that is, you know, a higher priority is placed on that now? No, I mean, I think it's 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 part of it. I, I wouldn't, again, they vary in terms of where they, they sit, but in my mind, it's probably not the, the top crucial ones. All right. So I'm curious because it's been reported that you presented the Brewers with uh, something like 44 candidates. And obviously not all of these names come out, but those that do come out tend to be well-known names. You know, they're assistant general managers, they're scouting directors, they're people who, you know, if you follow baseball closely, you know who they are. They've been mentioned as candidates before. So with searches like that or, you know, with Rob Manfred, for instance, who you mentioned, you had some hand in, in helping that process through. But, of course, Rob Manfred was well-known and, and thought to be the favorite right from the start. So how many of the candidates that you typically find would be sort of, you know, very well-known people that you would consider kind of gimmies almost? That, that's true. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. I, I don't think, you know, winning the press conference on day one is necessarily the most important factor. Most important factor is that the person that you bring in over a long period of time is able to develop a culture and have a consistency of competitiveness that can stand the uh, test of time. To sort of to explore the flip side of that, this is sort of uh, an involved question, so I, I apologize. But I wrote something about Theo Epstein a couple months ago and speculated that uh, what made him so revolutionary was that not necessarily his skills, but that the Red Sox looked outside the realm of ex-players or ex-scouts to you know someone younger with a different background. And the, the Major League Baseball teams have spent the past 10 years or so trying to find the next guy in that same pool of you know, younger, quantitatively oriented, often Ivy League educated people, but, you know, that maybe the, the next revolutionary candidate will come from a revolutionary background, um, among other things, perhaps being a person of color or a woman. And as, you know, as someone who's involved in these searches, you're in a unique position to recommend, you know, unconventional candidates. So, are you looking for for people who don't fit the traditional mold, and how have those discussions gone when when those names have come up? Well, every search we're involved in, we look for out of box candidates. We look for a full plate of diversity uh, candidates, whether it be ethnic, race, gender, etc. So uh, that's one of the things that we promise that we're going to uh, present and have a diverse slate of individuals that could potentially you know, meet their criteria. But at the same time, you know, we still see similar kinds of, of usually men getting these top level executive jobs. So, you know, there is sort of a persistent lack of diversity. I was, you know, if you're those names are coming up or the team's just not not interested in hiring somebody unconventional right now. No, I, I think, again, it goes back to, you know, people's skill sets and training and what they've done and what their experiences. There becomes a time uh, in part of the process is you're assessing individuals 
you're looking at their experience, you're looking at things that they've accomplished, and you're looking at people that have done the things you're looking to find. In some organizations, for example, I worked on the Cleveland Browns this past year, and we end up with a head coach that's African-American. We have the president of football operations and the president and the senior VP of personnel, all African-Americans. I think the only uh, league of any team within any professional sports that have diversity candidates. I mean, we put Shaka Smart and and, uh, Charlie Strong at Texas. They'd never had an African-American coach. We hired the person, the people there that had the right qualities that fit the environment we were looking for. So absolutely. I mean, if it comes, we're going to, the qualifications and circumstances of the opportunity are going to see how they match. And you're not going to force fit things just to force fit something. You want it to work. And is it difficult to change the situation when you're focusing on high-level hiring just because so much of the hiring does come from inside the game if you don't have those diverse candidates in entry-level positions or mid-level positions? Right. right. To your point, I think the question becomes how are they being developed? It's important that organizations and leagues determine that they're going to develop a pipeline of people across, you know, the gender and race so that they can be qualified candidates to be able to step into these uh, these roles, either uh, as a general manager, president of baseball or a field manager. And maybe not necessarily, you know, regarding uh, issues of identity, but, you know, you're involved in enough of these searches. You have to come up with a lot of the same names over and over. Not necessarily. When we start a search, we start it from scratch. We don't ever go into a search thing. Uh, the only search that I've done where we thought we had the answer at the beginning was Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Other than that, there has not been a search, and I've done, I think, 20, close to 20 of these now between intercollegiate professionals that we ever thought we had the answer when we started the search. Fair enough. It's a process. But have you found, you know, people like you've you've had a name in that uh, in that folder that you send over to the teams that, you know, this person would make a great general manager. This person would make a, a great head, you know, college head football coach if, if they got the shot that, you know, that, that you think, you know, is, is sort of a, a person that you would bet on in the long term. And what our job is, is to provide a variety of options. We don't make the decision. The client makes the decision. And it's our job to provide options. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's up to the organization. And once they see the options, you know, what their interest level is and how they want to pursue those options. And how do you assess someone's psychological or emotional readiness for this position when there's really almost no equivalent for this position at a, at a lower level? So do you have to conduct some sort of testing to assess whether someone is prepared for this? At Corn Ferry, we have, you know, a large group of industrial psychologists. We've also created an online assessment, our, our 4D, which gets into competencies and traits and so forth of individuals. And then some organizations, you know, choose to do their own assessment that they may have uh, psychologists and so forth that they use, that they've used, and, and they choose to do that. But at the end, there's something done uh, in that area. Uh, to evaluate the candidates. And in terms of evaluating, particularly for coaching, because you were yourself a, a college football coach, does this, or, and a, an NFL coach too, um, does that experience give you a unique insight to what candidates on the other side of the table are, are looking for? If it's about matching matching team with, with coach or executive, does that give you an insight into what the coach or executive might, might be after in that kind of working relationship? I think, uh, first of all, Having the experience of working with seven Hall of Fame coaches and being close to John Wooden, some of that has to rub off on you. When you've had a spot talent your whole life, like, for example, at UCLA, a third of the players I recruited went to the NFL and three were top ten picks. Doing that is something that I've had to do my whole life. The fact that I've done it at multiple levels has been important. Plus, before I got into just doing the sports searches, I was at Spencer Stewart and was a core member of their CEO and board practice. So doing Fortune 100 CEO searches, board work. So this process, this just hasn't been just sports. This has been an accumulation of experiences that I think has given me a unique insight into the chemistry of how organizations work and how important that is to get it right. And I think that's an advantage that we can help organizations with when they work through this process. 
I will wrap up with this. When candidates withdraw themselves from consideration, if they decline the request for an interview or maybe they get to that stage and then they pull out, why do they typically do that or what reasons do they cite for doing that? Oh, listen, it's, first of all, it's complicated. When you're dealing in the leagues, there's a lot of formalities that have to go through in terms of getting permission to talk to people, whether it's the National Football League, the NBA, Major League Baseball. It's hard. Organizations are in a pennant race. They're in a fighting for the NBA championship. They're in a Super Bowl. So, you know, different organizations respond in different ways in terms of making their people available. So it's a, it's a challenge just getting people to um, be able to talk to them because you can't just pick up the phone. An owner can't just pick up the phone and call owner Y and say, I'd like to talk to your person. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have to have a discussion. There has to be permission. So it's, a, it, it's not, not as simple as it looks. Uh-huh. All right. And lastly, there is a school of thought and a, a line of research that suggests that teams would be wise to perhaps outspend other teams when it comes to front office executives that basically you could get more bang for your buck by getting the best executive for, you know, 2 million than you could for signing the best reliever for 8 million or 9 million or 10 million. And I wonder whether you think at some point we will see some sort of arms race when it comes to hiring or or how often does it come down to money when you have this job to offer someone? Well, I think, you know, having the right infrastructure and systems uh, and processes in place can go a long way in terms of helping the organization make better decisions. So at the, at the end, what you're trying to do is to develop a, a system where you have continuous improvement, where you have continuous improvement in the information that's being given, uh, that individuals are able to contribute, that there's a, a, an open, transparent culture allows the sharing of information so that at the end you can have quality decisions and quality ways to develop players and to evaluate players. So it's it's bringing all that together. And if at times that, uh, as you mentioned, being able to spend on infrastructure can enhance an organization, then that's the organization's decision on how they want to spend their money. All right. Well, we will let you get back to work. Twins fans are eager to see what you come up with. So, Jed Hughes, thank you for coming on. Yes, thank you. And uh, when you retire, we'll have you back on to spill all the (laughs) secrets that you couldn't tell us today. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. That will do it for today and for this week. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Jed. Thanks, as always, to Michael Bauman. Thank you to you for listening. We hope you have a fine weekend. We will be back with a new episode of The Ringer MLB Show on Tuesday. Tuesday. 